For over three years, the city of Charlottesville has been engaged in a process to reform the way land use decisions are made. The Seville Plans Together initiative has resulted in an affordable housing plan, as well as an updated, comprehensive plan. This spring and summer sees continued work on a new zoning code intended to make it easier to build more housing and require more of them to be affordable. That's one of the major topics of Charlottesville community engagement, and that's the sole focus of this April 29th, 2023 edition. On today's show, the Charlottesville Planning Commission and the Charlottesville City Council met for nearly four hours on Tuesday to discuss what we know so far about the new zoning. Public comment on the first two modules is due this Sunday, that's tomorrow. The release of the third module has been delayed to mid-May, and the release of a consolidated draft will be in late July. Commissioners and councillors indicated they would be willing to be open to allowing market rate units to be in new developments that seek double density. And the conversation also covered what tools may be possible to stop displacement in sensitive communities. In today's first Patreon Field shout-out, the friends of Charlottesville Downtown are getting ready for the month-long Downtown in Bloom event this May for the celebration of art, flowers, and the beauty of spring. They want you to get ready for a series of free events. Charlottesville City Schools will host their annual art exhibit in the windows of shops on the Downtown Mall with a family night on May 5th with project displays on the Code Building. There will be a spring stroll all month with specialty drinks at bars, restaurants, and coffee shops. Pick up the spring stroll passport to qualify for a special celebration. There is a flower market at Ting Pavilion on May 4th from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. Participating businesses will have a flower competition in container gardens and planter boxes outside of their establishments. And the 2023 Chalk Fest will be held on May 20th, with 13 local artists creating murals from the Ting Pavilion to the Dairy Market. To learn more about Downtown Bloom and other initiatives of Friends of Charlottesville Downtown, visit friendsofseville.org. Today's edition starts with a disclaimer. I am not able to capture every conversation that's underway about the proposed zoning in Charlottesville. There are a lot of details in the two modules of the draft zoning we've seen to date, and there are all sorts of conversations going on across town about the potential impacts of increasing residential density everywhere and reducing legislative controls on what gets built where. This edition focuses mostly on the conversation that took place on April 25th between the Charlottesville Planning Commission and the City Council. The very beginning of the meeting began with this observation from Commission Chair Lyle Sola Yates. Richmond City Council recently passed unanimously uh, they are no longer mandating uh, off-street parking in new uh, developments. Thought that was an interesting change. Uh, I was hoping we would beat them. They won the race. <laughs> in Charlottesville, the current draft of the zoning code would eliminate parking requirements. I've not delved into that issue in this newsletter, but I do write for Seville Weekly as well, and there's a quick piece in the April 19th edition of that. Sola Yates' comment came before the meeting really began. The gathering really got underway with an update from James Fries, the city's director of neighborhood development services, on the third module of the draft zoning. I think it's no grand secret that we're a little behind schedule and we've been wrestling with where we are right now and what we have yet to come. 
Here's where things stand as of today. The deadline to comment on Module 1 and Module 2 is April 30th. You can leave a comment on the Seville Plans Together website on their zoning page. Module 3 will now be released the week of May 15th. This is the administration section, and Fries said it is being reviewed by the city's legal team, as well as the firm hired to advise the city on the land use reform process. The comment period for Module 3 will run through mid-June. Fries also said the consolidated draft of the zoning code will be available the week of July 24th. The terms of both Commissioner Hosea Mitchell and Rory Stolzenberg are up on August 31st, and both are eligible for reappointment. The application window for boards and commissions does include requests for more people who would like to serve on that body. There's also an election on November 7th, and there will be at least one new city councillor. Mitchell said he hopes the Seville Plans Together process can be wrapped up by the end of the year. One thing we don't want to have to do is re-educate a commissioner and or a counselor. Fries said he understood and said this meeting was to hear any concerns from counselors and commissioners as he and staff work to develop a consolidated draft. Great example of that is there's there's been a request or identification of a need to get a better understanding in module one of how the different components of the district standards interact with each other in order to produce potential development on the site. Fries said over a hundred comments have been made requesting changes to the zoning map. A new map will be created as part of the consolidated draft. At the March 29th work session, some councillors and commissioners expressed concern that the draft zoning would have a provision that would allow developers to pay into a fund rather than guarantee units would be held below market rate. For background, go back and read my story on that meeting, link in the newsletter. On April 25th, Fries explained why the cash-in-lieu option remains. What there is an acknowledgement of is that every project at the end of the day is unique, and the fee-in-lieu offers you an option where um, where otherwise you might not get, the project may not happen or the affordable units on site otherwise create challenges that just can't be surmounted. The fee in lieu offers you an option to let, that allows both the project to go forward and to get the benefit of those dollars. Fries said the calculation for the fee would result in higher values than the current one. Councillor Michael Payne said he still wasn't sold on the idea and wanted to include language that stated any fees collected would not go to council's moral commitment to spend $10 million a year on affordable housing. And these fees are on top of that $10 million. That commitment was made in March of 2021 when council adopted the affordable housing plan. Council can make no binding financial decision except for adopting a budget for the next fiscal year. The first module unveiled the concept that a developer could double density in Residential A, Residential B, and Residential C zones, but only if all of the units are designated for households below 60% of the area median income. Planning Commissioner Phil Duranzio said more flexibility should be included to allow nonprofits, at least, to provide some of those units at market rate to subsidize the affordable ones. Although we do need uh, affordable units as defined as 60, we need a bunch of 80s and less, too, and a bunch of 90s and less, too, and the same level of all of that. Duranzio suggested that only the bonus units be required to be affordable, but allowing the base units to remain at market rate. That still builds your units, that still provides the affordable units, and it still gives us places to put two or three affordable units here, two or three there. Fries said he felt it would be appropriate to proceed as planned, 
and that it could always be changed if no units ended up being built. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said he did not think any developer, even nonprofit ones, would build these types of units without significant subsidies. He suggested removing the double density ability from the draft. Why are we trying to uh, insist on something that is highly, highly unlikely ever to be built? Councillor Michael Payne pushed back on Snook's skepticism and suggested such projects could qualify for low-income housing tax credits. And you also have Habitat, who's built projects as just an example, using volunteer labor and their fundraising model, where I don't think the expectation would at all be that the city directly provide, I don't know about eight units, but we've definitely seen affordable housing production at a smaller scale where the city was investing some amount of money, but not even close to 100% of the subsidy. Duranzio, who works in the mortgage industry, suggested a financing solution. This is simple, right? I can knock up a program pretty quickly that would take make the city's money uh, a churning revolver, and we wouldn't have to spend anything like city money permanently. We could probably get 90% of it back, wherein the city says, you want to build an affordable unit on that dirt? Fine. We'll provide the construction loan for free. You do it. You build your unit. We vet the tenant that's coming in. You put a brutal uh, subordinate deed of trust on there that says it's got to be kept affordable for X number of years uh, or horrible things happen to you. It conveys the property. Uh, and then uh, on day one, the program has already found permanent financing for that homeowner to pay off that loan. The property still cash flows with the rental affordable unit that you've been developed. The city gets its money back homeowner gets to decide what sort of affordable unit goes literally next door to them. They make a small, uh, they, they make a small positive cash flow on it and we move on down the road and respend that money. Well, I'd love to see how that works because I don't understand it. Okay. And it may be beyond the scope of this meeting. Yeah. I mean, it's not a zoning thing. It's just, we just don't want to do anything yeah. in the zoning code that kneecaps something like that happening. Snook said he was to meet with Piedmont Housing Alliance and Habitat for Humanity after this meeting to better understand how they do their financing. Commissioner Mitchell suggested that the double density only be allowed after a legislative review to what is in place now with the special use permit. Something where council and planning commission would have to make a recommendation. Council would have to make a recommendation. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg opposed the idea because he said there would be too much risk. For, a, for an eight-unit project to jump through a special use permit and a year of sitting on a house or buying in advance, not knowing if you're going to get it, seems so onerous as to mean they're probably not going to happen. Snook said he had an issue with the ability to get 16 units in residential C zones because many of them have the same lot sizes. But he said he wants the zoning to be written in a way to allow for some change. I would rather have a system that results in more units, more affordable units being built, but with the with some way of assuring any individual block or street that this block or street is not going to dramatically change in, in character. The notion that we started with at the very beginning was that these changes were supposed to be house sized uh, that they were supposed to look and feel like other houses in the neighborhood. And I know that you can do things like that with six or eight units. City Councilor Leah Perrier said there will continue to be confusion about the future until people can begin to have a clearer understanding of what can happen on their lot. 
She suggested visuals that can help non-architects and non-planners better grasp the possibilities. Say these are things that could not happen on this lot if you did a teardown. These are things that could happen on this lot if you didn't do a teardown or if you expanded. Once they see it, you can talk about the finance part. Fries said his staff and the consultants do plan to produce visual components that explain the possibilities. So we're looking at doing a video where we actually kind of run through, here's the factors that go into an RB line um, and, to, and give you an outcome. I'll be back after a short break. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and Charlottesville Community Engagement's continued existence means that many of you support local information. Want to support some local businesses as well? The Buy Local campaign is in full swing, and both the Albemarle and Charlottesville offices of economic development want people to consider spending locally as they shop throughout the year. The Buy Local campaign highlights small businesses within Charlottesville and Albemarle County through a multi-channel, multimedia, promotional, and educational campaign designed to reinforce how important supporting area small businesses is to the local economy. Locally owned independent businesses with a brick and mortar presence in the city or county interested in being featured in the campaign should visit www.showlocallove.org or contact info at showlocallove.org. For more information on the Buy Local campaign, visit showlocallove.org or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or Now we're back to Charlottesville Community Engagement with a special edition that tries to summarize the April 25th meeting of the Charlottesville Planning Commission and the City Council talking about zoning. Councillor Perrier also agreed with a comment made by Councillor Michael Payne that the zoning reform must result in policies that allow Black households to stay in the city. Our people that live in the city of Charlottesville that look like me and Warren and Hosea going to be able to even rent, you know, because affordable for you may not be affordable for them. And if the unit is $100,000, then you look at what that means. And if I'm only making $25,000 a year, I can't even get in. Councillor Juan Diego Wade said he's been hearing from many different sides of the conversation to guide how he will vote. He said it seemed that neither those who want the zoning reform and those that do are not quite happy with the current draft when it comes to density. I totally find that that compromise, that 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 middle spot that from the emails that we're getting from those, because both sides are looking at this as the worst case scenario. Yep. And I think that that's what we spending our discussion on. It's like, and I know we have to do that, but 90% of the de- um, development and construction would take place. Wade said he recently had a conversation with a resident of Ridge Street, parts of which are designated as sensitive communities in the future land use map. That map is part of the comprehensive plan, which calls upon the future zoning to offer tools to stop displacement. This particular street, it happened to have a lot of African-American homeowners on it. Kind of moved here from the county, they moved into the city. A lot of older homes. And lot by lot, this, this street 
is changing. Mm -hmm. The assessment is going up. I mean, one house across the street is assessed at, I think, 260, but they're building a $1.2 million house across the street mm -hmm. that has views of Monticello. Wade noted that the house replaced one that had four affordable units. He said the fear is that homeowners will be priced out and added the city must use the zoning code to do what it can to provide tools and suggested that the main beneficiary of many changes will be Habitat and Piedmont Housing Alliance. Wade's comment provided a segue for Fries to discuss the sensitive community's areas, policies, and potential tools. He said this concept was first identified in the Affordable Housing Plan. The Affordable Housing Plan was the first place that really acknowledged this, this point that as we're considering and contemplating um, additional density across the city and therefore additional value, that we needed to take action to limit displacement of low-income communities. I will say that this has been an issue that we as a team on our side have been wrestling with a lot. And we did some focus groups with um, residents in some of our sensitive communities. Um, there isn't really an easy answer here. And part of the reason there isn't an easy answer is because zoning is a, is a deeply imperfect tool for this. Zoning is great at keeping, um, uh, frankly, low-income housing out of places. It's not terribly good at the opposite. For now, one idea is to create an overlay district where only one additional unit would be allowed on properties with this designation. He said there are upsides and downsides to this approach. One of the downsides is a recognition that we're seeing displacement today, as Councillor Wade described, in a single-family environment, and that's not going to stop. Right, This limit isn't going to change that. It will continue to happen because at the end of the day, the wealthiest people in our marketplace get to live wherever they want, and many of them want to live in the areas we've identified as sensitive communities, hence the displacement that we're seeing. Fries said other policy tools include augmenting tax relief programs, spending more money on programs to help people become homeowners, land trusts, and land banks. He said further planning might help coordinate all of these mechanisms. Coming out of this project, coming out of the zoning ordinance project, the first small area plan I would like to see us pursue is in 10th and Page, because that is one of our one of our hardest hit areas in terms of this displacement that's happening. Commissioner Carl Schwartz is a resident of the 10th and Page neighborhood and said he would not want to limit potential development in sensitive communities, but that the small lot sizes on some streets may make it difficult to get density in place. I think you're going to find that it's already difficult to do more than one additional unit as it is. You know, if if someone can cram four units on, on like my lot, for instance, they're going to be small units, which will be probably more likely to be naturally affordable. Commissioner Kareem Habab said he thought restricting the number of units in these areas would be a disservice. Somebody wants to sell a house. You can't make them have a penalty because they live in a sensitive community neighborhood. City Councilor Michael Payne said he thought the proposal would be very different. I find it very unsatisfactory. Um, I think we will end up being naive about how the housing market and capitalism is really going to play out and work here in Charlottesville. And that's why I spend some of my time going through the property transactions to find examples and to know what's happening. I hope to post the list from March within the next week and then April soon after. Now, this was not the end of the meeting, but I have to get on with other topics. And so you can please go back and listen to the whole thing. And I need to conclude this edition. I did not make it to the end of the meeting. And I refer you again to the disclaimer at the beginning. 
Now, today's edition has information in the newsletter that's not in the podcast. That's not usually the way it's done either, but this is a different episode. It's one that I really, really just need to get out the door so I can get more on the way. And now we've done that. That's the end of the program, and I am a little unsatisfied with this edition, and I'm a little unsatisfied that there are many other stories I've not yet had a chance to get to this week. This newsletter is about to hit its third anniversary, and that means I need to take a look at how to make my work more efficient, especially as I think about hiring someone to help. And I don't know what that looks like yet, but I do know that I'm able to even consider this due to the support of hundreds of subscribers, either through Patreon or Substack. And I'm grateful that Ting matches the initial payment of those who pay through Substack. And if you sign up for Ting at a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you will get free installation, a second month for free, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. Thank you to Vraki for the incidental music which you hear, and it signs us out. And see you next time. Don't know when, but I'll be back.